This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. The Hockey News Podcast is here. It's Matt Larkin with Ken Campbell. Poppy Poppy goes his soda can. <laughs> and Ryan Kennedy is to my right. We're still in the new studio, which I think is even better than last week. We were still in the new studio. Yeah, as in like yeah. it wasn't like, one what, 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 were we going to move after last week? Or? Maybe. What, yeah. like, new, studio new studio every week. Yeah, we're well, like on talk shows, right? You know, Conan O'Brien in Quebec City this week. You know, mm. They do that kind of stuff. Yeah. We're not doing that. Yeah. We're, no. in our, uh, yeah. we're in our studio. Yeah. And I think it sounded pretty, pretty, pretty good, you guys. Uh, let's start with some NHL and the Columbus Blue Jackets in the standings right now. At the time of this recording, two points out of a playoff spot, chasing the Montreal Canadiens. Columbus does have a game playing in Thursday, hands. I think. Playing Thursday. Yeah, playing Thursday. Uh, and I, I think it's fair to say that when Columbus got very aggressive at the trade deadline, making their big moves, especially the Matt Duchesne trade, they were probably hoping they'd be in a better spot than they are right now with seven games to go in their season. So my question is, for you guys, uh, whether we're looking at Coach John Torella or GM Jarmo Kekalainen, will someone's head roll if this team does not make the playoffs? Because to me, it feels like the franchise is heading toward a cliff, especially with Panarin, Bobrovsky, unlikely to return. I think we're nearing the end of an era for Columbus, unless something goes really, really well in the playoffs. But what do you guys think? Well, I think I think what will happen is that if, if one of them has to be sacrificed, I get the, I get the sense it's going to be Tortorella and it, and it won't be Yarmo Kekalainen. I mean, like let's face it, Yarmo Kekalainen. You know, I mean, he had John Davidson sign off on all of these moves and ownership sign off on these moves. Like they didn't just, you know, I I, I think they 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 knew that this was a possibility. I mean, they went into this with open eyes. They knew this was a possibility, um, and I think that that. I think that you know they'll they'll kind of use it as the you know we need a new voice in the room kind of thing, and that's sort of where I see this going. If they don't make the playoffs, I think um, Tortorella has one year left on his contract, so I, I could see them doing something like that because I think Kekalainen has the has the the confidence of ownership and 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 of John Davidson, who's the president of the team. So I think I think that would be the way they'd go. Yeah, if that's the case, then I don't think. You can really fire anybody because this was the master plan and they, they knew going into the trade deadline that they'd probably lose Panarin and Bobrovsky in the offseason. Well, they knew they were going to lose. Yeah. They, did, they knew that. They yeah. could lose Duchesne as well yeah. via unrestricted free agency and they took that risk. If it blows up in their face, then, I mean, they knew what they were getting into. Right. So I, I think in that case, like, you know, Tortorella, I don't think he's done a bad job this year. No. Um, there's been a lot of distractions around that team. I mean, Bobrovsky, he's got a lot of shutouts, but it doesn't seem like he's been playing great the whole season. He, better he, wasn't, he wasn't good at the beginning. Yeah, he wasn't good at the beginning, and it really felt like some, he didn't want to be there. Yeah, some of their guys have kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit, though. Yeah. Like Weinberg hasn't done much lately. Well, he Oh, he's been bad all year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I wonder if Wierenski's come along the way that they mm. would have liked. And and then you could, that's the excuse you have, right? If you want to fire yeah. the coach, you yeah. say, okay, well, you know, look, here's what happened. The thing that concerns me about Columbus, particularly from the management side, every contract negotiation with these guys gets personal. Yes. And we saw it, yeah, and contentious. Yeah. And we saw it right from Ryan Johansson. I was in Traverse City for their for their um, 
uh, Prospect, Prospect Turner. Camp, yep. Prospect Turner a couple of years ago. And there was me and Aaron's Ports line who's now with the Athletic. We were talking to John Davidson. And boy, oh boy, he was irate about what Ryan Johansson was doing. And, 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 and I know it's gotten personal with other guys. It, it apparently got quite personal with... With Elvis Merzlikens, the uh, the goalie, the because they wanted him to go to Cleveland on a, on a PTO, and he was like, "Forget it. I want to. I want to have my entry level contract, so I'm out of entry level next year. I can get a one year deal." Mm-hmm. And now there's friction there. So I just, I know that like it's it's to me it just seems like every negotiation gets personal there for one reason or another, and mm-hmm. to me that would be more of a worry because yes. then you start thinking, well, why would anybody ever sign their long term, you know? And and I've spoken to agents who have said the same thing that as soon as their guys are you know, free and clear, yeah. they're gone. And it's more than the, the the thing that troubles me is it's more than just a couple. Yeah. You know, it's like, a like there's like ten agents out there that they don't get along with. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, so it's not always the other side. So it's like yeah. you have that you know? friend that has falling outs with every job they're in, like yeah, they have yeah, a bad yeah, boss yeah. or every friend they friend group they have. It's like, well, maybe if they're the common denominator every time, what if they're the problem? Yeah. yeah. And I, I do think um, and, and not that we're accusing anybody, we're just we're just speculating here. But I, I do think that uh, the target I think it's closer to being on Kekalinen than people might think because uh, we're in the we're witnessing the most successful period in the Blue Jackets short history, where they had their two best seasons back to back, and they didn't get out of the first round either right. one of those seasons. If right. they regressed out of the playoffs, they mortgage a lot of their future, and they make a big trade. They lose the lose Abramov and the first round pick, et cetera, et cetera, to get Matt Duchesne, uh, and then you're going to lose uh, Bobrovsky and Panarin. And that, I think, it, yes, you could say, okay, it's not in the GM's control if they want to leave, but I still think you could look big picture and say, hey. You couldn't get it done. You couldn't find a way to yeah. keep either of your yeah. two most important players. Yeah. Uh, and I think we could see a, an entirely different looking Blue Jackets roster by July. Right. And I think if anyone's fingerprints have to be attributed to that, it's got to be Kekalainen's before Tortorella's. But then, you, you know, you think, like, I, I guess, you know, I, I kind of like what he did. You me know, too, I, I me kinda too. I kind of like what he did. I kind of like that he went for it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so there were no guarantees here. They, they you know, and they... Put the cowboy hat and the cowboy boots on, and they they went for it. And right. I, I kind of like that. Me too. But what if it doesn't work? I'm they, glad that he that's the thing. But if they miss, of, if they miss, I still kind of like what they did because they took the chance. They went for it. You know. But I think I mean, the, you knew that. You knew that going in. You knew that going in that these guys could could miss the playoffs, lose in the first round, or they could, you know, conversely get really hot and you know get to the conference final. I mean, which. Still, con- conceivably, could happen. They still have the personality. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, but but I I don't know. I mean, there's something to be said. I think for just like you hear so much about the future all the time. We can't mortgage the future. We can't mortgage the future. We can't. Well, well, tell Edmonton Oilers fans about the future. You know, I mean, sometimes the future is right in front of you, and you you seize it. And I I think that there's something to be said that's kind of good for that. Yeah, my worry is that if they do miss then next year's team is going to be worse, at least on paper. Yeah, much worse. Much worse. And you traded futures for that to happen. I mean, Columbus has some good prospects. Um, I wouldn't say they're the deepest, but there's some kids coming up that are very intriguing. But this would still be a franchise that had never won a playoff series. And how long, you know, you talk about Edmonton. No, they've won playoff games. Oh, yes, they have. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they You're have. thinking of Atlanta. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, yes, but that 
that would be the issue for me. You talk about Edmonton constantly churning. Columbus is kind of like a low-key version of that where it's like, sure, you're maybe better in the standings in the regular season, but you still haven't won a round, right. and it's not looking good next year if you subtract Panarin and Bobrovsky and maybe even Duchesne from that equation. Right, and if they develop this bad reputation uh, when it comes to negotiations, it doesn't make them a particularly appealing destination for UFA. So exactly. right, they lose Duchesne and Panarin Bobrovsky, we don't know that they're going to replace them with better guys. And the few moves they've made recently, kind of in Riley Nash, I really like what Riley, Riley Nash was in Boston, but he's been a very low-impact player, so I'd say that's a signing that didn't go well. Yeah. So if you're, just, if you're just sort of laying out the past year on sure. paper... I don't know. It, it's hard not to, if you're going to point a finger. I'm not saying we have to point a finger at anyone, but if you're going to... Oh, no. No. Like, why would you not point a finger? Why wouldn't you? Because you've got... You've got me. No, you've got <laughs> expectations. There's expectations here. Yeah. And this team failed to meet them. So, so I mean, that's just not bad karma and, and things out of your control. Like, those are very real things that need to be dealt with. It's a business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll transition to another team uh, that is facing an offseason of turmoil, or at least a lot of change, the Edmonton Oilers. Last week, Bob Nicholson, CEO, made some pretty pointed comments about Tobias Reeder, and it was like, there was a lot said there. But the, the standout comment was, if Tobias Reeder had 10 or 12 more goals, we might have made the playoffs. So it was kind no, of like... No, if he had 10 or 12 goals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. And really, Since he, he has, has zero... <laughs> Uh, and it was really symbolic, and I know you wrote about it, Ryan, but mm. it's symbolic of just the problem with the culture in Edmonton, right to the top of the organization. When you're calling out, it's not like you're calling out, you know, McDavid, our captain didn't get it done. Like you're going, yeah. you're going after the zero goal guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. Low hanging fruit, not yeah. not low hanging fruit. That's fruit yeah. that fell off the tree and is on the ground. Yes. Yeah. Do you guys know Bob at all? Uh, I've not personally. I, I know him, and I'm I was shocked. Me too. Yeah. I was absolutely. Gobsmacked. Didn't seem like something that, uh-huh. that he would come out and say this, and and not not say it like like say it in that kind of venue, knowing that yeah, like it was almost like when you know back when like Russian guys would say something to a Russian journalist and never think it was going to get translated, get translated right? Like it's almost like he thought, oh yeah, season ticket holder uh, breakfast meeting, no one's ever going to. Right. On this, yeah. you know? This is just us folks, right? The, you know? thing that, the thing that is interesting about all of this is is that, you know, I mean, the Tobias Reader story is going to come and go. It, it was a, it was, it fed the news cycle for a day and a half, two days, and then it, and then it stopped, right? Mm. It's more what it's symbolic of, I think, than anything. I mean, now, if you're a mid-level free agent... You gonna sign with Edmonton? Yeah, you don't want to be <laughs> on your shoulder. You know, I, but to me, culture change, culture change. We keep talking about culture change in Edmonton. They did that. They changed it. They took out all the old boys. That's that's what Bob did. Oh no, they that's didn't. What Peter, that's what Peter they still threw. got. They still got old boys. Oh yeah, they still got them. Oh yeah. But but the, you know, I mean, the, the the ones that apparently are you know holding the levers of power. But to me, like. I don't know. Bob Nicholson, they haven't moved the needle. They haven't moved the needle at all. In fact, it's gone backwards. And yeah. you have Connor right? McDavid. And, and you, you hired Peter Chiarelli because he was out there. Mm-hmm. You did it really quick, and you did it really on, you know, sort of, uh, uh, it was kind of a, jer- a knee-jerk reaction move, and it turned out to be a really bad one. 
and now you've got this and you've got you know his answer to what's going on is well there's something in the water like you're the president of the team like there's something in the water yeah i mean you gotta you gotta come up with something a little better than that don't you i and i said this in my blog it almost feels like he's been infected like whatever happens in edmonton is contagious and i think you know and i sort of said you know metaphorically or figuratively they got to take down all the banners at the arena Pretend that you never won a Stanley Cup because the the guys in the suits and ties using their brains haven't accomplished anything. Yeah. With sticks in their hands, Lowe, Gretzky, McTavish, they did wonderful things. They won cups, not with their brains. Maybe Gretzky kind of with his brain, but that's when he had the puck on his stick. But in terms of like actual hockey minds at the executive level, they're all disasters. You know, Gretzky had his moment at the Olympics and... Yeah. He definitely deserves credit for that. He gave yeah, the motivational hey, speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, they needed that at the time. It took yeah. the heat off the team, and we'll yeah. give him credit for that. But you know, you know, when we talk about old boys, I think people kind of miss the point, and they miss the point in Edmonton. Somebody said like Keith Gretzky's not an old boy. He came from a different organization. It's like, yeah, yeah but his last name's his Gretzky. Last name is Gretzky. I think yeah. you might have met him at a barbecue or two before. Yeah. You might be familiar with him. And like even Peter Chiarelli came from another NHL organization. Granted, one that had a lot more success. But when I look at the next GM of the Edmonton Oilers, I feel like it needs to be somebody like completely different. You know, like you look at what Arizona did with John Chaika, and you know the Coyotes. They've had their ups and downs, but they might make the playoffs. Okay? You look at Toronto with Kyle Dubas, and, you know, they brought him around pretty quickly. They brought him up pretty quickly from the Sioux, and obviously he's a young guy. And he got out John Tavares. It just seems like they've tried everything. They tried that with with other guys. Like, I mean... Not at the GM. Not not the GM level. Yes, they yeah. hired Tyler, Tyler Dello in the past, but... Yeah. Um, they don't I, stick to yeah. it. That's the problem. That's yeah. right. I, I do think... The time is right for a scorched earth. It's almost like if when they announce the hire, people say who, then they're doing it right. Yeah, really. You don't want it to be a name that rings a bell and brings a rush of nostalgia. That means they're doing it wrong. And I'm, I'm admittedly skeptical that they're going to make the right decision. But I think yeah. they need to go young, analytics-minded, blank slate, and someone just willing to not not remember, almost like someone who wasn't alive yet when the others are winning those cups. Yeah. They don't have any emotional attachment. And I do think that that is, is part of the problem. There's the old boys club and, and this sense of just clinging to, like you said, the banners of the But we do, we do know they're going to have a new GM. We do know they're going to have a new coach. Um, you know, so, so, I mean, to discuss that is one thing. I think what you're asking, though, is do you scorch the earth here? You know, do Absolutely. you scorch the earth here? Is, is it time to bring in a, an entirely new... Uh, new crew into here, including yeah. the president, including all these sort of figurehead jobs, including, you know, the assistant GM and everybody. And it is worth considering that, you know, when Rene Fassell steps down as head of the IIHF, Bob Nicholson is a candidate. I'm told he's not the front runner, but I wonder if he takes a bigger role with the IIHF. Maybe he just decides that he wants to concentrate on international hockey and do that. And maybe that helps the culture change right there is that you know he leaves a couple of other people leave and you know when I say a new GM they don't have to be young young but I just somebody 
off the board. Fresh. And, and sadly, I, I feel like I'd be less surprised if it was the new GM is Glenn Sather! Yeah. Oh. I wouldn't be that surprised if that happened. I thought you were going to say Glenn Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, maybe, maybe. He won a lot of cups. <laughs> That's right. Uh, right now, it's getting close to the end of the season. We're starting to think about awards. Uh, one that we will not be voting on is the Vezina Trophy. That's voted on by the GMs. So that kind of means we can talk about it anytime we want because mm-hmm. we're not going to be casting ballots. It's a very close race right now, so I'm curious for your thoughts. Uh, I think you can make a strong case. Andre Vasilevsky is probably the front runner right now. He yeah. leads the league and wins. Yeah. He's right near the top in most statistical categories. Uh, working against him, amazing team in front of him as well. Uh, ben Bishop's had maybe the best season of his career. You have Marc-Andre Fleury leading the league in shutouts right up there and wins. Uh, and you've got the Islanders goaltenders, Grice and Lehner, both having phenomenal seasons. Uh, and even Jordan Bennington, who's taken the Blues on his back in the second half, putting up Sterling Vezina Trophy caliber numbers. Right. So I guess first off, let's discuss front runners. And I'll put mm. Vasilevsky forth yeah. uh, because there's a really strong correlation between win totals and votes from the general managers. Like, it feels like they skew toward the wins leader more often than not when it comes to the Vezina. Uh, Vasilevsky is the leader right now, and, and I think that he's so dominant in so many categories that at this point I'd be surprised if he wasn't the guy, but if not him, then who? Ask anybody that's connected to the Vegas Golden Knights, players, coaches, management, ask them one question. Who has been your best player this year? And I I dare say to a man, I would be surprised if, if all of them other than Marc-Andre Fleury said Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh-huh. Marc-Andre Fleury would be like Malcolm Subban. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, they. that's that's how much he's meant to that team this year. And and I just think that for the same reason why Mark Giordano is going to get a, a, a lot of love for, for the Norris Trophy, I mean, he's going to get it because he's had a great year and he, and he deserves to be a contender. But I think one of the things that, that may be a deciding factor for a lot of people is, Man, the guy's doing it when he's 35. Yeah. You know, and I mean that that's I think that's gonna come into play. And I think in this case it's gonna come into play like, you know, the guy's been really good his whole career. He's won cups, he's a great guy, he's a lot older, and he's having this great year. So I, I think that might come into it too. But I, I think if I were voting, I, I would vote for Marc Andre Fleury just because it's, it's really impressive where he came from and where he is now. And I do think there's a tendency with voters, um, in, in every award, you see a, a hint of sentimentality when it's close. Whether it's fair yes. or not, I think sometimes that breaks a tie. And I think GMs yeah, might sure realize, does. and sure they, they might realize, we can put Marc-Andre Fleury into the Hall of Fame with this vote. Because right. he's got Ooh. the cups, he's got the wins. People are going to say he was never the best goalie in his position. If he wins a Vezina Trophy, then you can't deny him. That's the only thing missing from his resume that Ooh. would, I think, put him over the top. Not saying that's fair, but it's not computers that Just make saying. the votes. It's human beings right. that, yeah. that do, this, do this vote, right? So right. I think that type of bias could creep in okay. and when the numbers are close enough, when you're looking to break it down. Yeah, I, I like Fleury as well. Um, you know, Obviously, Ben Bishop has been super important to Dallas um, in getting into a playoff position. The only thing for me that's against Vasilevsky is the fact that Louis Domingue has been like fantastic for Tampa Bay. You know, I, I talked to a lot of people uh, on the Lightning for a story just the other week, and we were kind of comparing this year's squad to the one that won it all 15 years ago. And you know, the old Lightning said. 
Johnny Graham was huge for us because Nikolai Habibulin went through a big slump. Johnny Graham got us a bunch of points as the backup, and we really needed that. And then this, and then they would look and say, "Now look at this year. You know, Vasilevsky got hurt for 14 games. Dominga was there for them and uh, and got them a bunch of points as well and held the fort. So that would be the only thing. You know, you make the well that leads to, that also leads to the question." Is, know, it I mean, is it the team in front of him? Right? Yeah, and Vasilevsky's great. And, 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 and I think that would be the one with with Robin Lehner as well. It, you know, I mean, yeah. the, the Islanders are the best defensive team in the NHL. And he and, and Grice have like the exact same stats. Right. Oh, exactly. Identical. Yeah. Yes. So, so to me, uh, you know, I, I wonder. You know, I mean, it, you consult this stuff a lot more than I do. Be, well, if you consulted it once, you consulted a lot more than I do. But, <laughs> but I mean, the, the you know the expected save percentage with respect to the danger danger of the chances. I'm not sure how it stacks up with with some of these. Guys. I, I think the most like uh, the strongest correlating factor for the Islanders being great defensively is the goaltending in this case, right? So I think it, it's less. It's not the opposite where great defense is leading to lower quality shots. It's at least the last time I looked. It's more that great goaltending is masking. The fact that the Islanders aren't quite as good as they seem to be in the standings. Uh-huh. So it's fun. Like, if, if there ever was a year where you could see co-winners of the Vezina, mm-hmm. I mean, you could make a pretty strong case. This would be it because Lander and Grice have both been phenomenal. What I'm curious about is uh, Jordan Bennington is kind of doing an Andrew Hammond impression, but sample size is going to be a bit bigger than what Hammond's was a few years ago. Uh, 24 and 1, so 20. Four. Oh, one. okay. Yeah, yeah. Five shots, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. 1.84 goals against average, 9.29 save percentage. So Bennington's numbers are going to be right there. And, he, and even if you look at the analytics, like the, the under-the-hood numbers, they're extremely strong as well. Right. So is the sample size going to get big enough that Bennington deserves consideration? Or yeah, do you think yeah, it's going to yeah. be I think, I think it'll be good enough that he gets consideration. I don't know, I don't know if they're big enough for, for him to win. Yeah, it feels like it's just... You want, you want the... The Vezina Trophy winner to have at least 42 games. And I don't know if he would be able to get... I don't think he'd be able to get that. No, he won't. Yeah, and even though he you know, will have been almost single-handedly responsible for... <laughs> the make it the playoffs. Getting them in the playoffs yeah. and, and, and turning their season around. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think you need a... I think, you know, the GMs will want to see a, a bigger body of work. It's almost like... And, and you know what? It's, it's, it's also like awards are also given on merit for career merit and like they'll be thinking okay you know I mean are we going to look really stupid in two years mm. when this guy's back in the East Coast League you know that he won the, that he won <laughs> the a dr- yeah yeah or, or you know take your pick right so I and I also think that you know like with Vasilevsky there might be the feeling that you know this guy's got a lot of good years left on with him left in him with a really good team whereas if you're going to give Marc-Andre Fleury the Vezina this might be the only this might be the year he gets it. And right. I can't. I personally, I, I don't disagree that that mentality is out there, but I can't stand that. I hate that mentality. It drives mm-hmm. me absolutely friggin' nuts. Give the award to the person who deserves it. Don't get sentimental and decide who's due. It just can't, uh, it drives me nuts. And I think that's well, yeah, but that, that is that happens. Eric Carlson should have four Norris trophies right now, not two. Yeah, that does happen. That definitely oh, does happen. It no does. Question. Yeah. yeah, and it drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Can't stand it. Wow. It's just kind of a, it's, it's an uneducated way of approaching the award. Give the give the award to the person that deserves it. That's sure. how I feel. Yeah, I mean that's that's right. I mean, and we've had that thing with the rookie that that argument with the rookie award. You know, you know, do you compare an eighteen year old to a twenty three year old? No, you can't take age into account. It's not the twenty year three year old's fault that the the rules are the way they are. And if he's the best rookie in the league, then he should get it. There you go, uh, Kenny. You 
were lucky enough to attend the Clarkson Cup over the weekend. Montreal losing to Calgary in the championship, CWHL. So what were some of your takeaways from checking out? Well, it was a really good game. Really, you know, a really fast game. A lot of skill on display. Um, would have uh, would have been better, and I would have liked it better if if Marie Philippe Poulain had been able to play. Um, she's arguably the best player in the world right now, um, and and just lives for these kinds of games, right? Big games. Yeah. Um, she wasn't able to play. She was on the bench. She was in her full gear, uh, but it was very clear that there was no way she was going to be able to play because they really could have used her a couple of times on the power play, and it was a close game, and she, she couldn't even, like, it wasn't even close. She wasn't going out there. So um, that was a bit of a disappointment. You know, and with the World Women's Championships coming up in 10 days, um, you know, there's some question as to whether or not she'll be ready for that. So that's something to watch. Um, you know, it was interesting to see Calgary's makeup uh, of their team. Um, you know, they've got a lot of actually Americans, uh, which is interesting because most of the top American women are playing in uh, the NWHL in, in the States. But, you know, Alex Rigsby, Rigsby who's the goalie, um, Casey Bellamy, uh, Brianna Decker, Brianna Decker, and uh, the, the, the hero of the game who got two goals, Zoe Hickel, they're all Americans. And they, it's funny because they followed Shannon Miller there uh, when she went to coach, but there, was, there seemed to be a lot of friction between the coach and the GM. Shannon left halfway through the year and was replaced. Uh, she, she quit and was replaced. So there's a bit of controversy there and, and stuff. But I guess the biggest takeaway that I took from, from all of it was in, in all of the people that we talked to, from coaches to players and everything, the, the, the appetite to merge both of the leagues is, is insatiable right now. Um, from a player standpoint, from a coach's standpoint, they want one league. Um, and, and you can see why. I mean, I mean if you had a, a, a team, you know, a six or seven team league, uh, you know, with with those teams all sort of, with those players all together, um, you'd have a much better product. There's no question yeah. about it. I mean, the, you know, you're you're going to be lopping off probably forty or fifty players off of the bottom of that that you know that that group of players, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to have a better league. It's going to be, uh, you know, there's there's going to be the, the the talent distribution will be better. The the marketing will be better. They want you know they obviously want the NHL to get involved. I'm not convinced that's the greatest thing for the women's game. Um, but uh, that, it really is. I mean, they really think that it's it's time. And mm -hmm. I, I think personally, the window has never been better because this has been this year has been just one continuous moment for women's hockey. Especially with right. what happened the All Star Weekend with Kendall Coyne, Brianna Decker, Coyne getting those extra opportunities and now getting a bigger chance on the broadcast side. You had Sportsnet, all female broadcast team doing the Clarkson Cup. Yeah, I feel like more eyes than ever on the women's game, and it's it's really at a peak right now in terms of quality. So the appetite is there. I think it's the perfect opportunity, and if if you capitalize on that moment now I think you could really generate a lot of buzz around a joint league yeah I get mm. the sense they're kind of cannibalizing each other you know what yeah. I mean like in a way sure and the problem here is that if they want the NHL involved and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure about this but I don't think the NHL I think the NHL wants the leagues to lose their struggle <laughs> you know? right they, they don't want to pick up leagues that have baggage they mm. want it to be a clean slate, and then they come in and sort of organize and pick things up. Um, and as long as these leagues are kicking and screaming and, and still in business, then it, it makes it difficult. So I, I think the first thing is is to get the, the, the two leagues together and to, to start forming something on their own, and then, uh, and, then, and then you move from there. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, Matt, you're totally right about the momentum. And, you know, I was at the rivalry series about a month or two ago, and the competition there was fantastic, you know, USA and Canada. And it just feels like we're at a place right now where people are seeing what that high level of hockey can be. And, you know, speed is in. Doesn't matter who the players are, doesn't matter what yeah. the level is, speed yeah. is in. And, you know, the top women right now deliver that. And it, for me, I know you're very skeptical of the NHL. I, I feel like in, just in terms of the framework of what they could provide and just getting everybody rowing in the same direction, I, I'm, I think it might be a good thing. Yeah, 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 and I and I appreciate that sentiment, mm. and I and I respect that sentiment. The only thing that bugs me about the NHL getting involved is, first of all, the earth is going to have to be scorched in order for that to happen. Secondly, um, I I I can't help but think that the NHL would treat it as a sideshow. And thirdly, the thing that sticks in my craw the most is that it's it's almost like the NHL, you know, patting women's hockey on the head and saying, oh, you know, good job, toots, but the, you know, the old white guys will take it over. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and that kind of bugs me. And I, yeah. and I, and I, I just think that the NHL... Like it's a flavor of the, it would be a flavor of the month for the NHL. I'm not sure that they would have the commitment or the the dedication or the you know the, all of that to see it through to give it what it needs to, to, to you know to really grow. Right, and I don't think the NHL has necessarily earned our trust to not be tone deaf uh, over the past couple of years. Things like you know they have Kid Rock perform the All Star Game, and it's Adidas that jumps in to sponsor. Brianna Decker after she wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. NHL is not being consistently ahead of the curve. And I don't know. It, it's I don't know if we can trust them yet, but it's tough to say. Uh, let's do some fantasy insider picks now. A few for anyone who's left in their playoffs. You're probably in your league championship right now. If you're still alive and maybe you lost a goaltender or you have a goaltender who's slumping, you want to put him on your bench, try Philip Grubauer in Colorado. And I apologize to everyone who picked him too high in drafts because I was on him so hard as a sleeper in the spring, but it's finally happening. It just took all year for Grubauer to finally get his chance. We saw the cut. What? What? <laughs> Ken, Ken is shaking his head at me. I don't know why. Uh, but he ha- is getting the opportunity we knew he would get. Uh, we saw it in the contract, right? Semyon Varlamov is a pending UFA. They signed Grubauer to a three-year deal. We knew he was going to get a chance to start. It is happening now. Just named third star of the week. We know he's hot. So grab them if you need help in that final week when you have to be willing to drop players if necessary to win your championship. Another guy to look at, Andrei Svechnikov. And, and someone else, you know, we know he's an outstanding prospect, second overall pick in the draft, great goal-scoring talent. It took him a while to find his stride, but he's got 20 goals now, five goals in his past seven games. And he's someone that the talent's there. So as soon as the light comes on, he's someone you want to pounce on. He could stay hot the rest of the season and then carry a lot of momentum going into next year. Third pickup to watch. This is for very deep leagues, and I'm still a little skeptical about this gentleman, Alex Nylander in Buffalo. <laughs> but we know that the raw talent is there, and yeah. we know that he's getting an opportunity yes, on the yes. first line with Jack Eichel. He's got four points in his past six games, I believe. So if you have a really deep roster, maybe someone got hurt this week, you want to just throw in a replacement that has upside. Nylander has the upside. I got a question for you, Mr. Um, fantasy Guy. Um, what about like if you're in one of these keeper leagues... Would you want to get a guy like Tira Hirose from Detroit? Like, he's he's been getting some points, too, down the stretch yeah. here. I mean, I think that would be a very deep keeper league because we know the track record of college creations is not elite. Yeah, mm. yeah, um, yeah. But 
I am going to talk about keeper leagues in an, in an upcoming podcast, so stay tuned on that. But I think you're going to look uh, first. You could go for someone like that, but I think you're going to look first, at, depending on the size of your league, at guys who are more established, like someone who might be widely available still is like Dylan Strom. That's a guy you want to keep instead, for example. Right, right, right. There you go. Uh, future watch time. Ryan with some prospects. Let's hear it, baby. All right, we'll start with the 2019 draft. This one goes out to Ken. Uh, Blake Murray from the yeah. Sudbury Wolves of the OHL. Two assists last night. Your hometown squad. Um, yeah, three points in three playoff games so far. And, you know, the important thing about Blake Murray, he's got some decent size. He's a goal scorer. And he moves pretty well for his size. Uh, you know, I talked to a scout the other day. He says he's actually quicker than he kind of looks out there. Uh, the big thing with Murray was consistency. You know, during the regular season, sometimes there were games where he, you know, he wasn't really that visible. And you know, this scout I was talking to was saying, you know, the playoffs will be a big time for Murray. So far, so good. Like I said, point point a game guy. Uh, Sudbury up three nothing against Mississauga, so it's pretty much looking like they'll get some second round games. Yeah, I guess that's not going to be an upset, eh, Ryan? Pro- probably I not. Maybe not an upset. Probably not an upset over Sudbury. Maybe Uko Pekka. Yeah, Uko Pekka doing his thing. Uko Pekka wasn't that great in Game 3. But he was really good in Game 2. Well, there you go. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, so Blake Murray, uh, a name to keep in mind. I'm thinking he's probably a third-rounder. Maybe he can squeak into the second if somebody really believes in him, and and depending on how he does the rest of the playoff run for Sudbury. Uh, And then we'll go to drafted players now. Joel Farabee, Philadelphia Flyers, just signed his entry-level contract today. Uh, he had been with the Boston University Terriers. Terriers actually had a pretty big uh, exodus. You got Dante Fabro signing with Nashville, Jake Ottinger with Dallas, Chad Crisp with Chicago. Chad, Chad Crisp. Um, but we'll focus on Joel Farabee because, you know, he was just a freshman this year. So he won and done. 36 points in 37 games, led the Terriers in scoring, had a great World Juniors uh, for Team USA. And interestingly enough, will still be eligible for the World Juniors next year. So if Farabee is not a regular with the Flyers, you know, say they send him down to Lehigh Valley, he could he could easily be the captain of Team USA next year. Having said that, Farabee, he's such a high-motor guy. He's such a great complementary player that I think he'll fit in really well in Philadelphia's top nine next year. And, you know, I mean, Philly's got some great wingers up top, but... As you get down there, I'm wondering if he could be a great guy to play with either Scott Lawton or Nolan Patrick. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be a top-line guy right away, but um, I think he could fit in with another one of those centers and and really help Philadelphia because um, he's the kind of guy that you never have to worry about him showing up. He's always there, and he's always bringing that skill. All right, good. Uh, from the magazine, Ken, my favorite issue of the year is out on newsstands right about now, Future Watch. And Ken, you had a big story on our number one prospect, Kale McCarr. So what did you learn talking to Mr. McCarr? Well, I learned that he is very much his own man. Like he, you know, he said, you know, I listen to other people. I, you know, I'll, I'll take advice from people. But in the end, like he's a young man who's very comfortable in his own skin and, and, and knows what he wants and knows you know, knows that he is going to own his own decisions. Like, you know, the, the, you know, for example, last year, he could have, he could have been the seventh defenseman on the Olympic team. And he, he decided that that wasn't something he wanted to do. Uh, he didn't want to go there and just sort of 
sit the bench while his team kind of, you know, muddled along without him during the Olympics. So he said, no, I'm not going to go play in the Olympics. You know, this year, the Colorado Avalanche wanted to sign him full stop. They wanted him to turn pro. And he looked at the situation and said, I've still got some things that I can improve on. I've still got some things I can get better at. No, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go back to school for a year. And it turns out that it was a very, very good decision. And it's interesting because the guy sitting in the GM's chair, Joe Sackick, uh, he would. The same thing happened with him out of the Swift Current Broncos. They wanted him after his after his 18 year old year. They wanted him to come to Quebec, and he said, No, I want to go back to junior and and play junior. He had like 160 points that year. Things turned out okay. He's in the Hall of Fame. So, um, yeah, no, I, I just a really like focused, interesting, like really kind of non no nonsense kind of guy that uh, you know looks like the kind of guy that's going to be a like a Norris Trophy contender for sure, and a defenseman that's going to play for twenty years in the league. Mm-hmm. Right, and Kale McCarr, even in our, our voting with our scouting panel, was the closest thing to a consensus number one prospect. And I think in about seven years, the last time it was uh, Jenny Kuznetsov around yeah. two thousand twelve. Yeah. So I do think when you see the way Joe Sackick has behaved as a GM, playing things pretty conservatively over the past couple of years, right? Even with Colorado making the playoffs last year, he stayed very conservative in the offseason. I think it's partially because he knows what he has. He knows Kale McCarr's coming, so he's sort of preparing for that to be the time that his team starts to rise and peak. And then maybe you see the Avalanche getting more aggressive when they're building around McCarr and McKinnon, Ranton, and et cetera. Interesting story about Kale McCarr. He is, his father worked in the Calgary Flames marketing department. Uh, when he was born, and they were looking for a name for the kid, so they Kale Hulse was playing for uh. Uh, for Calgary, so they named him Kale after Kale Hulse. And I talked to Kale Hulse, and Kale Hulse, Hulse is named after Kale Yarborough, the former NASCAR Follow driver. Follow the trail of Kale. Uh. Yeah. Trail of and Kale. His, and his real name is Caleb Yarborough, uh. so Kale is short for Caleb, but his name's Kale. True story, bro. I think Kale okay. McCarr should invent his own smoothie called the Kale McCarr. Get it? Get it? Nope. <laughs> Let's move on to the mailbag. Uh, first question is from John or Joel21. Should the Canucks go after an Eric Carlson or an Artemi Panarin as a UFA? And it's an interesting question because we know that there's a lot of cap space there in Vancouver. They're, in, they're a team in transition. I personally think it's not the time yet, right? So if you look at the Leafs as a template, uh, I think they waited until they started to rise up and they achieved that critical mass of young talent. So if you're Vancouver, I think you want to have another year of Quinn Hughes, maybe a year of Thatcher Demko starting, before you reach the point that it's time to start pushing forward and trying to become a contending team. So I don't think the moment is there yet. Even though the cap space is there, it doesn't mean you have to spend it yet. So I, I'm waiting if I'm Vancouver. Mm. It's, it's interesting. I mean, it, yeah, ideally you'd like to wait for someone, but, but I mean, how often do guys like that come available, right? Indeed. And, you know, they can really, they can, those, a guy, one or both of those guys could really push a rebuild, you know, in the right direction. I, I don't think Panarin is a, is a possibility. Um, Vancouver is near water. It is. Yeah, that's it my is, first thought. It is. Um, I, I think that, you know, Eric Carlson, I don't know, I've heard one of the things that he said and I don't know how true it is, is that he wants to come back to Canada. Um, you know, one of the few players that actually wants to be back in Canada. So if that's the case, maybe it does work from that perspective. But, um, yeah, I, 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 think that, I think that the rebuild now is it's, it's happening from within. So you want to see what you have with the guys that you have. Yeah, I, you know what? I say go for it. And um, you know, partially, as Ken said, 
Um, you, you never know how often these guys are going to come around. And you know, let, let's take Eric Carlson for an example. How great would he be as a mentor to Quinn Hughes? Not only that, but how great would it be to take the pressure off Quinn Hughes as a rookie to have Eric Carlson above you on that depth chart? So a guy you can learn from, but also a guy who will take all those media scrums away from you in a lot of cities where you can play your game. You don't have to worry about logging you know, 22 minutes as a rookie. You can ease your way in. And then all of a sudden, you look at that Vancouver blue line, it's like, man, that's, that's kind of fun now. And with Panarin, I think... You know, you can always use a guy who can score you 85 points a year. Uh, but even more so, when you look at Vancouver, their their best forwards are all really young. And for Panarin to be able to come in and just give them a little more depth up front, a little more experience, and again, to take the weight off the Pedersons, the Bessers, to a lesser extent Horvat, because he's got a couple more years under his belt, I, I think it would put Vancouver in a very nice position. And, you know, both Panarin and Carlson are the kind of guys that fit in the modern NHL. They're not going to drop off a cliff in three years. So I, I think if you're going to make the investment, this might actually be one of the few times it would be okay to kind of jump the queue in terms of your rebuild because I, I feel those guys fit. I think it's kind of a moot point, though. Like if, if, if you're Eric Carlson or, or Artemi Panarin and one of, your, one of the boxes that you want to check off on your – on your list of teams to go to is a chance to win fairly soon, you're not going to Vancouver. I don't think so. Well, maybe I mean, not. You could influence Vancouver a lot just by simply being there. Sure, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's not like Vancouver's on the precipice. I don't know that I don't know that guys look at it that way. Like mm-hmm. that, yeah, I'm good they're gonna be better because I'm there. Right. I think they measure how good they are and how, you know, I mean that way. I, mm. I'm just not sure they would say, you know, I mean I don't think they. I don't. Not sure if they approach it that yeah. way. Which is interesting because it's almost short-sighted <coughs> on their part because you almost want to be joining a team that is on its way up right. rather than one that's at its apex right now. Yeah, true, true. But you know, you know, it's the devil. You know. Right? Sure, sure. Like teams on their way up, sometimes, you know, they they just don't do it. They don't right? get there. Yeah, they don't get there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tampa Bay Lightning still have to prove that they can win. Yep. When it counts. Yep. Fair, fair. Uh, last question. This is from Jeffrey J. And Jeffrey J. just throws it out there. Housley, dead man walking. Is Bill <laughs> Housley dead man walking? It's a question that's been seemingly asked all season. And I feel kind of bad for the Sabres as a team because they've improved a lot. And I think their season has been a success. But because they got so hot around November, December, it, it swelled fan expectations to the point where, oh my God, we're at first overall, uh, Stanley Cup, uh, and now they're being perceived as a big disappointment when, if yeah. you look at what they're going to finish as in the standings relative to last year, they've made tremendous strides. Yeah. So what does that mean for Phil Housley? Because he's being almost vilified, I find, lately, if you look on Twitter, media, whatever, as a guy who's, you know, has he lost the room? Has he lost control of this ship? I don't know. But the sum result of the season is improvement, so yeah. what do you do with it? Yeah, well, I, th- I think if you had said before the season, like that, you know, you said to Sabres fans before the season, you're going to compete for a playoff spot, but you're not quite going to be there. You're going to finish X number of points out of the second wild card, and you're going to improve by however many points, 20 points or whatever. They would have been like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that's not, yeah that, that's that's good. You know, Darlene's going to play a regular role. He's going to be good some nights. He's not going to be so good other nights. He's going to – I think he's really – I think he's showing 
right now is showing the what the, the 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 fatigue factor has really right. come on for him and he's playing a lot more hockey than he's ever been used to um so yeah so i, I think they would have taken that i here's my take on it as i i don't think jason Monroe had would have any interest in firing phil housley uh, I'm just I'm just not sure that it's going to be his his decision. Mm. I think this is going to be this may be an ownership decision, and mm. I think what I think will be the mitigating factor is let's just say for argument's sake the Toronto Maple Leafs get swept or lose in five games to the Boston Bruins and it's decisive like it's decisive. Let's just say that happens. I'm not saying okay. it's going to. Mm-hmm. It it is, but I'm not saying it's going to happen to it is. But let's say that happens, and suddenly Mike Babcock's available. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can definitely see them circling back because they could have had him before. And True. it was the owner. It was ownership that yeah. stepped in on that one, right? You know, what about an Alan Vigneault? They People in Buffalo are talking about Quenville. I don't see a fit there. Uh, I think it's going to be dependent on who's out there yeah. and, and how ownership feels about this. Uh, because I don't, I think Jason Botterell, my sense is, is that Jason Botterell will have no interest in firing Phil Housley after this year. Yeah, it doesn't feel like time. I think Housley was brought in and it's a young team. He is in the process of teaching still. And, you know, as we said, this was where we thought the Sabres would be at the beginning of the year. You know, they were going to improve. They weren't ready for prime time just yet, but they're getting there. And I, I I know I've seen the whipsaw of fan support because of the big win streak earlier in the season, but ultimately it all kind of leveled out. And I think you give Housley at least another year or two um, to get this team to the next level. The team's going to grow with him. And I think that's kind of what you want when you're building up an organization. When you're, when you're going through a rebuild, you at least want some continuity. I don't think a new coach would be a good idea at this stage. All right. Well, that's it for this week, everybody. We'll see you soon. And in the meantime, cast your vote. Ken and Jim Matheson are locked in a battle. Yeah, he's at 59. I'm only at 41. Get in there. Get out there. Let's move. Let's move, people.